Welcome, everybody. We're glad you're here. It's good to see even those who are coming, straggling on in. That's great. We're glad you're here. And if you're home streaming with us, it's good to see you all again. Last week, we were working on getting through Chapter 9, and we actually only got about halfway through because we, we took the whole time we had to finish with the fifth trumpet. And I'm afraid that the sixth trumpet here at the end of Chapter 9 is probably going to go just about as long as that did. But first, you know how I'm always telling everybody to bring or write me questions. And I got some great ones here. And uh, yeah, that good. I'm glad the two people that sent me these questions are here tonight. So this will be good to, to talk about. So this one is from our friend Charlie. Good to see you, Charlie. Charlie says, um, he, he quotes verse uh, 1 in chapter, chapter 9. He says, the fifth angel sounded his trumpet. I saw the star had fallen from the sky to the earth. Charlie's question is, I thought the devil was already removed from heaven and was living on the earth. Well, it's more of a statement, and he wanted, I'm pretty sure he wants me to explain. Here's the thing. Remember our events in Revelation are cyclical, which means several times in the book you're going to see ref, um, references to several different things at the, of the same thing. So something that's in verse in chapter 4 will be in chapter 8, chapter 12, chapter 16. You're going to see different things. So when Jesus quoted uh, in Luke 10, when Jesus quoted the, um, when he said, hey, um, we, we, as they were sitting there, Jesus said to them all, said, I saw, um, I saw an angel fall from heaven like lightning, and I saw him hit the ground. He knew who that was. That was Lucifer he was talking about. So Jesus and this chapter are actually reminding you of past events. It's almost as if it is a, a flashback. That's that one question. The other question, um, in verse 4, they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree but only those who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Here's the question. Why would the devil release the locusts if the locusts only attacked the devil's allies and leave God's people alone? That's a great question. Here's the thing. Jesus at this time is in full control, and God the Father, the one who sits on the throne and the Lamb, they are the ones full control of every being that exists. Remember, they created all. This is it. God himself created everything. And, he's in it. and the devil is so angry at some point in time that he's even using his own minions to kill his own followers to make a point. God, handed, when Jesus says in, in chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus has the keys to Hades and to, to hell, Right? And in that, when you read that, that, in, that it says the angel blew his trumpet, I saw the star fall from heaven. And verse 1, he says, verse 2, he says he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Well, he was given the key. That means that whatever came out of that pit was obviously a direct um, result of God giving permission and allowing this to happen. So, yes, the devil did have his own, his allies leave. He had to leave God's people alone because he was told that he couldn't touch that. God is still in control. Jesus, the lamb, and him who sits on the throne are still in control. His last question is, if non-believers became believers in God, 
would the locusts stop stinging them or will they continue to suffer for the full five months? <laughs> Those are great questions. I love them. And so here's the thing. Remember when the martyrs uh, in chapter 4, when the martyrs, or chapter 5, 4 or 5, Oh, my brain just went blank on me. So when, in chapter 4, I think it is, when the martyrs from underneath the altar reached up and said, how long, O Lord, will our judgment go? And then the, the elder looked at John, and remember he said, who are these people? And John looked at him and says, well, you know who these people are. And he says, yes, I do. They are the ones who have come through the tribulation. So they are now under the protection. Whenever it says... You cannot kill those who have the seal of God on their forehead. What does it take to get the seal of God on your forehead? Believing in Jesus. Remember in, the, in, in uh, Acts, when all the men stood around, looked at Peter and said, what must we do to be saved? When Peter was describing everything that was coming. And, they, and Peter looked at them and says, repent, right? Confess in the name of Jesus for, as your Savior, and you will be saved. And that's what this is. So for Charlie's last question, will they suffer for the, first, for the entire five months even after they have confessed and repented? You tell me the answer. Absolutely not. Very good. That is the truth. They will not suffer the whole time. Now, how this is going to work is one of those things we're going to get to see and watch in heaven. Because we don't know how exactly, I wish I could tell you mechanically how God's going to do this. They're being tormented and they repent, they fall down, they say, I believe Jesus is the Lord and Savior of my life, I accept him now. And once they do that, the, sing, the stings cease. Try to say that fast five times, the stings cease, the stings, anyways. So you can't, um, God will never go back on his word, I guess that's what I want to say. Please never believe that this is so confusing that, it, that God's contradicting himself. He's not. There's a reason for all of those questions. And I hope that answered them all so that you understood that when he, when, especially the one about the devil attacking his own allies, that's all under God's direction. God's making a point. There's something wrong on this earth. Please take judgment serious. Take my, my seriousness with holiness. Take my seriousness with don't commit murder. Take my serious with the system, with the Ten Commandments. Take it serious when I say, do you love one another? Take it serious when in Galatians we write a letter to them that says in chapter 5, starting in verse around 13 or 15, and it says, see this list of sins, anger, malice, gossip, all of those things are a sin. And then he says in 522, and he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, love, peace, patience, kindness, right? So Galatians 5 has a great big wonderful list of what not to do, or what's bad, and what's good, and the result of each. So all through this, this the New Testament, you are seeing testimony of all of the things that are happening in this book. And what I like about how um, John is, is trying his hardest to relate exactly everything that he sees when he's describing some of these horrendous things that we're going to see after this, this in the next trumpet, the sixth trumpet. You're going to see some horrendous pictures. This is the worst thing that John can picture 
as he sees these beasts and he sees these, God's showing him these beasts that are unbelievably treacherous, evil, and judgmental all at the same time. That is the reason that we get to read what we're getting to read. Because at any point in time, we are not... Right, let, me, let me make a caveat. I was about to say, we are not going to suffer these things. That is true if we have the seal of God on our foreheads. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm good. That's a good part. Okay, so I hope that answered all the questions for Charlie. And then we had one more from Ken down here, Ken Kunkel. He says, where can you find... Uh, where can the book of Enoch be found? Um, I went and looked, and on Amazon, if you type the book of Enoch in there, bud, they've got paperbacks for 10, 11 bucks. You get a hard one for 15, hardback cover, but it will give you all three books. And you can say all the books of Enoch on it. It says that on the title, and you can read all of the, the great um, apocalypses that Enoch wrote. I actually ordered me one when you did that. Because I thought, you know what, I don't have one of these. I have electronically, but I don't have one of these. And I want one. I like, I'm kind of the guy that likes to have the book book. You know, I like to be able to open it up and look here. Everybody can look at the phone, you know, phones and everything, get the scripture on your phone. I get that. That's wonderful. If that's how you like to do it, that's great. I like the books. Me and Paula. <laughs> that's very good okay so those are the questions so I want you to know that as you ask questions I get them and yes I do answer them and hopefully I can each time I get them tonight we were lucky enough so I was able to answer those okay let us look at verse 13 in chapter 9 because that's what we're doing we're going to look in chapter 9 to verse 13 one chair to your left yeah there you go um, so we, we have the sixth trumpet. Um, I want to go up to, to, chap, to verse 12 and look at verse 12. It says, The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. That's not encouraging words to me. I'm sorry. I just, I'm thinking to myself, that's not something that makes me excited. Verse 13. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet. And I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who were, had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. This is how I saw the horses in my vision. Those who rode them, they were, wore breastplates the color of fire and sapphire and of sulfur, and the heads of the horses were like lion's heads, and the fire and the smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails were like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. Verse 20, two of the saddest verses in the book of the Bible itself. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands 
nor give up worshiping demons and idols and gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. It's very interesting to me that, that those last two, and we'll get to those last two verses in a minute because there's a very specific descriptions there of the pl- what the plagues do, especially with those evils that they consider that need repentance. But let's go back here for a second because I want to talk about when the sixth angel blew his trumpet. The amazing part of, of the Old Testament, they didn't have like, Um, you know, the TV stations that have the emergency alert systems so that they could go into every house. They didn't have those. Um, Charlie hadn't invented them yet, so they didn't have them. So now what happened was they had to have some way of notifying the entire city. So they would have these guys with these giant shofars, which is a ram's horn, they considered their trumpets. They would be spread out through the city. Soon as the one, any one of them blew... Each one would be signaled then to blow after them so that eventually the whole city would hear the trumpet and know, okay, one of two things can happen. If we know that a king is coming or a prince visitor or something like that in the daytime, that's great. If it happens in the middle of the night, it means look out, the enemy is coming. And if it goes for a long time, it means really look out because the enemy is almost here. So when these trumpets that that we have, our seven trumpets that are blowing, the first four were all about nature, nature gone crazy, tornadoes, earthquakes, tremors, everything going on like that, the trees and the earth burning, all of that stuff was all about nature. Now in five, we got to five, and he saw a star falling from heaven who opened the key to the bottomless pit and released the evil locusts, and we saw their appearance. Now in the sixth trumpet passes. He says, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Remember in chapter, I want to say seven, where we talked about the, uh, the four angels that were told to go to the four corners of the earth. But don't do anything until I tell you. Remember he said, you can go there and you get ready. You're going to be able to do this when I tell you, but right now is not the time. Guess what? Now it's time. To me, these four, and there's lots of theological debates going on this. It's very interesting. There are some people who say, yes, that is the same four angels. Some people say, no, it isn't. I'm sorry. For, since I have the microphone tonight, I get to say, true to me, I do think these are the four angels because of what it says is going to happen. They're, it's almost described exactly, especially when you read it in the original language, you can really see that it's almost very descriptive of the same thing. So, says to these four to these four angels let me find my spot here release the four angels who are bound at the great rivers so the four angels who had been prepared this is what kills me for the hour the day the month and the year were released to kill a third of mankind because remember in the first four trumpets it was all about nature doing the damage to nature and the world the food all of that stuff This is the first one that really starts, judgment is coming, a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. So that was, somebody said, I looked this up real quick, uh, 
200 million. The, the size of this thing was 200 million. Now, 200 million, I'm just curious if that's an exact number. How are you going to count 200 million? I don't know. Again, I'm making the point, the fact that this is just a giant number. So what John is trying to say is there was an evil army for as far as I could see. And there was, there's never been anything like it. Judgment is not pretty. It's revolting. When we get to the point of seeing events that cannot be explained, when we get to the point of knowing and hearing about evil events that we, events that we would consider evil or terrifying or judgment or something of God coming down, People have said to me yesterday, I had a study on Monday nights, and on Monday night they asked me, they said, so what we want to know is how are we going to know when all this takes place? Does anybody else want to know how that question, I mean, if you want to know how we're going to know, here's what I can tell you. You're going to know. That's how simple it is. Have no fear. With those who have the seal of God on their forehead, you're going to know. The Spirit will be telling you. In two days, we're going to celebrate a moment when the people of Israel had to make a decision. The angel of death was coming through the, the land. And the angel, as the angel of death came, if they had on their doorposts, what? The blood of an innocent lamb on those doorposts, he passed them by and nobody died. And that was when they were separated as God's people and not just the followers of Pharaoh. Now, am I telling you that every single Jewish person did that? No. Unfortunately, there were those who did, weren't sure and they didn't want to make waves and they didn't want to fight and they, did, they, wanted, they knew the battle was here and yet they did not want to fight. They did not want to be one to go against everything. And I'm not trying to incite a riot here. But folks, by the time we get to the end of this study, you're going to learn real easy that at some point you have to make a decision. You're in or you're out. That's, that's, that's it. There's not, a, there's not a middle road, much like he told the Ephesians. Remember, if you're lukewarm, he doesn't want anything to do with you. His words are a little more graphic. I'll spit you out of my mouth, but that's what he means. I would ask that, and I know it's terrifying to think about. As you think about being a child of God with the seal of him on your forehead. Is that seal worth fighting for? Is that seal worth standing up to say, yeah, I'm not going to stop believing just because of some opposition? The staff at this church can tell you that since we've started this series, a lot of things of genie and my right, it's just been amazing to watch how our staff has been just medical issues and physical and, and all kinds of weird stuff been around. And staff meeting today, we just looked at each other and said, it's okay, we understand it's the fight. We're going to keep going anyways. For some of us, it's, it's hard to keep going. And they all keep going anyways. I mean, that seems they're a little crazy, but that's okay. Because they're crazy for Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right. So I want you to think about that tonight because here we go. 
Let's talk about the number and why, what they're doing. They were decided to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops were twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates, the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads. And fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. Okay, pictures of why they were like lion's heads. Who's the king of the beasts? The lion, that's right. And as, as the king of the beasts, the lion, he's the most feared and most powerful jaws there is. And that's what they say. So there you go, the picture. That means these animals are destructive beyond measure. Okay, for the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails were like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. What kind of snake has a long, big head, and he wounds around you and squishes you? Remember what it's called? The, nope, the boa constrictor. And they're named such because they not only constrict life, but they will squeeze life out of you. Boas, they bite you and you fall down dead. Uh, cobras. Boa constrictors wrap around you and squeeze you, and it's a long time before you die. When we talk about some of these animals and these, these beings, we have to look at that as um, symbolism. Because you want to think about the animals in, in the fifth angel who had um, crowns on their head and their stings, and they kept stinging people, and people wouldn't die from the stings. They were more tormented, right? And we talked about the fact that, remember, sometimes our stings are a little different in this century where we are today. Because the stings for us from the enemy can be things such as anxiety. Voices in your head telling you you're not good enough. Or you're, you're so guilty, God won't even accept who you are. That's the way he works. And if we remember... Oh, wait a minute, I keep saying remember, because I've already read that part, but you haven't. So let me, in the future, when we get to chapter 12, you're going to realize and find out why the why this is happening. Because everybody always says when they're going through tough trials, how many of us have said, why God is this happening to me? I mean, that's the first words, to be honest, that's sometimes the first words out of your mouth, because you're just thinking, oh my gosh, this torture. Why God is this happening? And I keep saying to people, let's stop asking why. Let's start asking what. Start asking God, what do you need me to learn? What do I need to know to get through this? What is it I have to learn, God? What ways do I need to learn how to be able to not to just take what's going on, but to understand my way through it and then help somebody else who's going through the same thing? There was a preacher back in the 70s, and he taught a thing called body life. And he told us once, he said, remember, folks, God never wastes a hurt. The tough things you have gone through, I know we all want to think that we're special and we're the only ones that feel this. But almost 100% of the time, we're not alone. Not only has there been people who have gone through it before us, but there are also people that will go through it behind us. 
And in that moment, when they're behind us, it may be something that we see, recognize, hear about from somebody else or something like that. And we get a little tug on the heart, don't we? Says, hey, call so-and-so. They need to hear from you. Give them a call. And you're thinking to yourself, I don't have time for that. I'm making cookies for Pastor Bill. Why would I have time to make these phone calls? I just thought I'd throw that out there. It's not really. Hey, but, but we get to, a, to a, a point in our lives where all of a sudden all of the busy things that we have take precedent. And that happens, and I'm quoting Daryl Johnson out of a book called uh, Discipleship on the Right. He says, until the day we have no choice. Because there will always come a day in a hurt that the fork of the road is there. We choose God's way, or I like to say, not God's way. One of my daughters used to say, Dad, you take God's way or you go down the chute. She was like five. I said, you're right, Jules, that's, that's really true. We get to a point where we forget sometimes. We get busy. We get to where that um, taking care of the kids, taking care of all of the stuff that's around us. And not every child is the same, so every parent has a different experience. And not every parent is the same, so sometimes when we get older, the children have different experiences. It's a giant circle. Although we wish that we were all going to be perfect to our children, our siblings, our families, and our friends, sometimes we're not. And when I see these kinds of apocalypse is happening when I see these horses racing to do this and I see these things happening and people ask me and and the interesting thing is Charlie when you ask me these questions I've been asked these same exact questions by probably 10 to 12 people in the last week I mean almost worded verbatim and I'm thinking are you guys all talking together or what's going on here and then it dawned on me no Bill (laughs) the spirit of the Lord is working in somebody and they need to know that there are others that are going through it as well. And so that question, especially about once they repent, will the stings keep happening? Once they repent, do, do, are they repented and they, they're done? God says that once you get that seal by repentance in Jesus Christ and you get that seal on your forehead, your repentance is complete. And at that point, The stings no longer burn. By the way, once a, I have, and I don't know if anybody else has been stung by a scorpion, but I have. It's not a pleasant thing. Um, My legs swole up and it got purple and green and all kinds of fun colors. It was a black scorpion that I was a welder back in the day and and it, it had crawled up my welding pants and stung me. And I hit it when it stung me and killed it. Of course, that, you know, made a mess under my pants. But anyways, I had to try to get those things off. And when you're, you know, we were living in Nevada. It was the heat of the desert. Not a good place to just have to take all your clothes off except your underwear. Anyway, so when we got there and we were doing this, and I looked down at my leg and I said, I think I have a problem. And then I got dizzy and it hurt and the pain was unbelievable. So I get to do a new Bible study starting in last January. And all of a sudden, he starts talking about the stings of scorpion. And my leg's going, "Uh, remember? 
And I'm thinking to myself, I lived through that sting. And yes, I was even a Christian at the time and stuff, and, it, and so all of this relates. But, it, but the point was this. The stings that they're experiencing right now says, in chapter 5, it says, the, um, and in those days, people will seek death and not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. That's chapter 9, verse 8. If we know that they're going to beg for death, that's how much pain they are in. And if it takes somebody that much pain to get through for them to repent and come to the knowledge and full forgiveness of Jesus Christ, then that's what needs to happen. I'm not going to go through a long testimony right now, but if you all want to know what it was for me, it was getting a shot in the leg and a fight in an alley. That's what made me all of a sudden realize Billy is not as invincible as he thinks. I had a come to Jesus meeting and I was waiting for Jesus to come and make it right. And instead the guys with all the sirens and lights showed up. We have to realize that as these pains come in our lives, there are reasons. They're not given by God because most of the time, and it's been proven, we cause these pains ourselves. The reason these people are experiencing these stings and pains from these things is what? It tells you in verse 21. They did not repent of their murders, their sorceries, their sexual immorality. Their, they loved um, idols of gold and silver and bronze and wood. And they did not give up worshiping demons. I mean, 20 and 21 tell us why they're experiencing these stings. So if they were to say, why, God, why are we doing this? He says, okay, just in case you missed it, let me try this again. You know, you did not repent of the works of your hands or give up worshiping demons. I mean, 20 and 21, give us the whys. When we go through the Bible as scripture, please remember that the story is there. We have to understand the text is here to tell us the whys. And then the what is the most important part. In the corporate world, they always tell you, you want to be, be successful as a corporation, find your why. Why do you exist? Why they want you to do that in the business world. But I'm suggesting just from Bill, and this is just me, instead of looking for the why if you want to be successful in the family of God, start asking what. What can I learn, God? What, what is it? What, I'm not listening. I'm not hearing. Because at that moment that you ask what, on the few times that I have been able to do that and say, God, oh, wait, not why. Hey, God, what is it that I need to learn? And then if I go into my six minutes of silence, oh, my goodness, my head hurt. The thoughts were coming so fast. And I had to, in the middle of my six minutes, say, wait, 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 slow down, God. I'm old, I can't remember all that stuff that fast. Because we get to a point where that we just want answers right now, don't we? That's why most of you are saying, Bill, cut to the chase. What happens to us and when and how? Everybody just says, I know there's 22 chapters. I don't want to read all that. So just tell us what and how and, and when it's going to happen to us and all that. Yeah, Bill's not going to do that. Because the fun to me is the journey of going through this story. These scriptures are incredibly 
encouraging to me. Because when you get through all of this nastiness from, chapter, from verse 13 all the way to verse 19, that's a scary picture. You start looking at between all these angels, the mouths were dry the year. They were released to kill a third of mankind. And the number of the mounted troops was 200 million. And then all of a sudden you get to and they had breastplates that you can't stab with anything that's man-made. You can't do anything about it. And the horses, and they had the lion's heads, which means they were not afraid of anything. Except the Lamb of God. Because as powerful and mean and ugly as they are, and don't take, don't. Don't take them for granted. Don't think that we can conquer evil on our own. That never is going to happen. The, the scripture says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. So God doesn't promise you that once you become a Christian that you're the most powerful thing on earth and that you can take the devil on yourself. That is not ever anywhere in this book. There's only one way to fight your battles. And I love the song. When I kneel down and pray, this is how I fight my battles. You want to scare and forgive my language. I have to say it. <laughs> Genie's our, our watchmaster. You want to scare the hell out of the devil? Get on your knees. Because when we're on our knees, the demons are going, wait, 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 wait. Somebody do something to interrupt this. Don't let this happen. Stop it now. Make, make a bell ring make a phone call make somebody run in with some kind of emergency do some but don't let him pray or her pray because my grandmother oh my goodness we were scared when she prayed for us does anybody have a person like that in their lives and once they start praying you're just going okay 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 don't pray i can remember my children my they would get ready to leave on dates when they're in high school and stuff and their mom would say to them <laughs> Just remember, I'm praying for you that Jesus will walk beside you all night. They, yeah, exactly what they would say. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> because, and years later, after they've been married and stuff, they come to us and go, you know what? We hated the worst. We were going out with our friends, and Mom would say, hey, I'm praying for you that Jesus will be beside you. Because when Mom prayed, things happened, and they knew it. And so they didn't want mom praying for them. Hey, mom, can you just wait to pray for, that for my safety, that I get home safe? There you go. That's a good one. Mom said, I'll pray how I want to pray. When we ask God, what do we need to learn? What are you trying to teach me? And whom do I need to share this with? You will never have a chance that you're going through something terrible, whether it be cancer, a hole in your side from a wound vac, any kind of eye troubles, blindness, hearing, things like that, or just, just being able to remember things like you did in the past. You will never be able to go through that stuff that God is not there. And even better, you will never be able to go through it on your own because as one of those who has the mark on the forehead from the spirit of God we are the ones that are able to look at our brothers and sisters and say can can we pray together I just I'm having a heavy heart and I need prayer today you know what's even more amazing is when a friend will just walk up to you and put their arm on your shoulder and say I need to pray for you right now when they do that I have a good friend in this room right now that likes to do this to me. Ken, 
he walks up and he just says, I just need to pray for you right now. And I'm thinking, God, whatever he asked for, please give it to him. I'm good. Let's go. Because <laughs> Ken knows something evidently that God has told him that I wasn't listening for. And I don't know. So I'm just saying, I trust my brother enough to say, no, you pray right now. I'm not moving until you pray. So when we have trust and faith in each other, that seal that's on our forehead, that's one of the most important things in your life. That is the most important thing in your life in my book. Because when this comes by four, by, um, in verse uh, 18, by these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed. The fire, the smoke, and the sulfur out of their mouths. So that part of that third was just killed by the fire, the smoke, and the sulfur. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails that have the boas that squeeze you. When you look at that, you're thinking to yourself, does everybody go through this? How does this work? Or you, excuse me, or you say, let's read verse 20 and 21. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands and give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their sorceries, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. So call me crazy, but I'm thinking there's another trumpet that has to sound to get somebody's attention. Because even with all of the stuff going on up to this point, the seven seals, and now you've got six trumpets warning of unbelievable torture coming. And there are these people who still did not repent. I don't know what it's going to take. For, well, God knows what it's going to take for them to repent. But I'm, I'm just saying, if, if, even if I was on the other side of God's family, I would want to look at this and go, okay, God, I'm done here. Let me repent. I want to live through whatever it takes for me to get to be able to say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and be my Savior. I want to be able to look up and say, okay, God, there's going to be a time when I need to know that I can do anything, anything for you, that I can do anything that you ask of me. And God, I really want to know that I have the courage to say yes before I know the question. People don't like when I ask that. I've said that in several sermons, and every time I do, people walk up to me afterwards and say, why do you, why do you say that? Because if we want to know strong faith, if we want to know some Christian maturity, look up and say yes to God before you know the question. Well, that's not an easy thing to do, is it? I can remember in high school, I thought, God, I'm ready to go. Don't send me to Africa. Don't send me to Syria. Don't send me to Florida. Don't send me where it's hot. I'll go to Alaska if you want me to. I had a list that it's okay, God, you can send me to these. But I was giving God permission. Yeah, I was young and not very smart back in then. And yes, if I figured out it's a little works a little differently now. God's not on my timetable or my plan. He wants me to be on his timetable and his plan. And once I learned that, things did get a lot easier for me because then it, I figured out real quick that if I do it his way, 
Man, it's fun to get the blessings of God. I have a chaplain friend who says, I love being on the sidelines and watching God work. That's a cool statement. He's right. And most of the time he's sharing with somebody, he's in hospice. So, so people are there, their families are there and their people are getting ready to, to go be with Jesus and they're all sad and, and he gets a chance to witness and talk to them and some of these people may not know the Lord. But he at the same time then says, God moves. He says, I'll be starting to speak and say things. He says, I didn't even know I knew because God is working and I love watching God work sitting on the sidelines and watching the amazing things he does. So when we, when we get to see how God is working in our own lives, two things happen. We get very humbled, and then also, we also get very blessed. And many times we fall on our knees in tears, thanking him for the amazing things he's doing. And I'm looking at all the people in this room. And you know, most of you I know, in fact, all of you in here I know, The stories of each of your lives are so amazing in what you all have gone through. Please say this prayer, write it down for me. Would you write down this prayer for yourself? Dear, and put your name there. So say, dear Charlie, don't write Charlie. Only Charlie used to write Charlie. <laughs> Pray for God to show you the God moments in your life. Pray for God to show you the God moments in your life. Would you like to know what a God moment is? Well, that's a great one. That's the big one. Yes, ma'am. The big one is when he shows up and you didn't know he was coming. Yeah, that's a great one. But the other side of God moments can be something like this. You say, hey, I'm just going to run down the mailbox and get the mail. And this is a true story. This happened to a friend of mine. So she's going down and she's going to get the mail. And all of a sudden, she's walking towards the mail. And as she gets her mail, she turns around and starts walking. And all of a sudden, there's a person in front of her that lives um, in her complex. And where she lives, there's been trouble because her and her female wife are having problems and lots of issues. And all at once, <laughs> my friend was standing there, and this woman began just unloading her life right in front of her. It was like she was just telling her, I can't believe this. I do believe in God. I knew this. Now, how she knew my friend was a Christian, the only way that I can think of, and the only way my friend can think of is the fact that she had that seal of God on her forehead. And this other lady begins to just tell her everything about God in her life and how oh, she stepped away and she went sideways and she's, she knows she's evil and she's probably saying, do you think God will ever forgive me? Now, my friend had two choices, right? She could have said, I'm sorry, you know what? I would love to talk to you about this, but I'm really busy and I gotta go because she got scared in that moment. But instead she told me, she said, Bill, I said to myself, self God, please speak to me. Tell me the words to tell her. So this person, my friend, put her mail down and stood there for a while looking into her eyes, listening to her, this lady. And she said, I said words to her that I did not know I knew. 
she began to weep and cry. And the amazing part is now things have happened in that other household that are showing that God is beginning to live there. The other person that was causing a lot of pain and destruction and abuse has moved out. And this girl has started to go to the church that's local. And she's starting to realize who God really is. That, my friends, is a God moment. It's that simple. You can be in a grocery store. You could be sitting at your desk reading your favorite book. Paula could be reading her stack of books. But we at the same time then realize and say, hey, guess what? You should call so-and-so. What? And, 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 and you're looking around for your partner. Well, what did you say? Oh, and he looks at you like you lost your mind. I didn't say anything. Are you hearing voices, dear? It's getting time. And instead, you pick up that phone and you call so-and-so. Hey, this is Paula. I just got a note to call you. A note? I didn't send you a note. No. God brought you to my mind and said I should call you. Are you doing okay? Next thing you're going to hear is amazing things that God is doing. So please, in those God moments, let God move in your life. When he gets specific with you, you get specific with him and say, okay, what? Tell me what? What, what do I do? Where do I go? How do I do this? You can ask what and how. Because you're gonna, you, when you ask the what, he'll tell you. And then you say, eh, okay, and how am I supposed to do that? I said, you let me worry about the how. You just start this, take the first step, and then I'll give you the second, third, and fourth steps. Folks, these people who were in this book had chances, obviously before, because he says those, they did not repent. He was giving them things. Everybody says, why didn't God just make his judge at one time, fell swoop, and be done with it? Because he is a God of mercy. That's how much for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Amen? Amen. And so when we stand before him and he says to us, you know, I, I, don't want, I can show you your deeds. And we're going to see where that is in chapter 20, 21, and 22. But he's going to stand before him and, and that, that book of life comes open and he sees your name in it. And he says to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter now into the place that has been prepared for you. He's going to have me a fly fishing rod, by the way, when I go by the gate, just so you all know. That's where I'll be, you know, catching trout like this big. But we have to realize that if in this repentance, if you don't in the first time, things will get to the point where <laughs> you will because of what is happening to you. Look at Jonah. First time he's told, Jonah, go this way. What does Jonah do? He goes that way. Hey, Jonah, go do this. Oh, I'm sorry, God, I got to go get on this boat. I'll be back. I'll, I'll, I'll go there after I go on this boat. <laughs> the boat is over water with a giant fish in it. Jonah went to the place where God told him to go, but he went by new transportation underwater. And it was not a submarine. They didn't have them in those days. So as he arrived in Nineveh, he comes up and he's just think bleached from head to toe white because he was in the belly of a whale for the day. It's a long time down there and pretty nasty and he smelled not good. 
And the first thing he steps out of the water and dragging him, seaweed falling all over, and he says, repent. So the people of Nineveh are standing on the beach, sunbathing and taking it easy, and it's Labor Day weekend. And they're just having a good time, and all of a sudden, this guy walks up. This whale first comes up towards the sea, and everybody's going, get out of the water. The whale wants to eat somebody. No, the whale opens his mouth all right, but then Jonah comes out on the ground, and Jonah stands up, hobbles over to the people and says, repent. I'm thinking I'm going to repent. Don't wind up in a fish in the God moments. Make sure that when you hear those God moments, there's some acknowledgement. Well, God, I'm driving in the car. Which way do I turn? That's kind of a dangerous thing. Do you know? But if it's like my friend and you turn around and there's somebody weeping or a moment that you feel in your heart, I don't have time for this. And you open the other eye again and you look up and you go, yeah, but I can't leave this person alone. I got to hear what they have to say. It's real easy when it's a young child. But when it's an older person who's stinky, smelling, and not dressed right, and, and you know that they're not living the way they should, what do you do? Verse 21 and 22. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands. And he gives the list. And you think about that. They were idols. They were worshiping demons. And the idols were made of every material. Gold, silver, bronze, stone, and even wood. Which cannot see or hear or walk. <laughs> He's making a funny right there. Because think about it. These guys are so stupid. They're following stone statues. That's what he's trying to say here. These are how goofy these people are. They got statues that can't talk to them, bless them, or do anything for them, or have supernatural souls, and yet they're following them without even repenting. And then 21, did not repent of their murders, their sorceries, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Somebody suggested once that the list right there is the top four of the biggies. Sin is sin, folks. There's not a you know, a, a, a hierarchy, a, a model of sin that says this is the worst one and this one, well, if you know, tell a little white lie, that's not a bad sin. You know, but if that little white lie gets somebody killed, that's a pretty bad, that moves you to the top. Point being that when he gives us this list and says here's what they were not repenting of, the message was to those people that were, did not repent of this. If you think God doesn't see, here, let me give you the list. Everybody says, why did he give them this very specific list? It's very simple. He gave them that list simply to tell them, look, here's the list for which you cannot see these, these idols that you're worshiping made of all this goofy stuff, these earthen metals, which I, God, created, by the way. Nor did they repent of their murders, sorceries, or sexual immorality, their thefts. You know what about those last four are? Let's think about that. The worshiping the idols is one thing, because that's outward. You can see that. But all of that stuff is the stuff in their heart. Why does somebody murder? Greed, power, you know, money, sorceries. They think that they want to go and follow the black magic. You know, there's movies out there that are just, you can tell, 
are so evil that there was definitely people of the occult running them. Their sexual immorality. I'm not even going to get... I say that again? Did somebody say... Oh. My watch thought I was talking to her. Um, when it says they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality, I'm not even going to get into that one. That's... <laughs> you can... You can see that everywhere you look. Or their thefts. They're stealing. That word, what's funny is, that one word at the end of this chapter, I looked it up just to see what kind of thefts those were. Anything that does not belong to you, including people, materials, or anything natural. So I'm thinking to myself, they're thefts of what? Children. They're thefts of other beings. Slavery. They're thefts of what else? That's not natural. Stealing of cars and houses and everything like that. That's one thing. Innocence. Huh? Innocence. The theft of their innocence. Oh, my Charlie. That was a big one. Yes, sir. That's a great one. To the theft of their innocence. See, that, that all falls under this word. I'm going to get to close here in the next few minutes, but I want to tell you that the thing about this is that we have to realize in all of these lists, he's talking about the physical, the spiritual, and also emotional. Young ladies who are in abusive relationships think they have to stay there, otherwise... This other person might die. And, and, and how victims of abuse, both male and female, how they both will defend the one abusing them to, the, to their death. Or how all of a sudden somebody says, hey, I really needed this, so I had to go take it from my neighbor. I mean, that, I've heard that before. No, but I really needed it. It's not, you didn't buy it, you didn't pay. Yeah, but they have so much, it's okay if I took it. There's no time when thefts are acceptable. This is how practical the book of Revelation gets. I spend a lot of time on the practical parts of it because please know this. I didn't say understand for those of you that hear me say please understand all the time. But please understand. This book is more practical and encouraging for those who are in the family of God, then I can tell you. There's not a moment when we have to fear some of these judgments and atrocities as long as we hold on to the seal of God on our foreheads. And no, I'm not going to get into the discussion of you cannot lose it or you have to keep it or you cannot keep it or I'm not going to get into any of that. Because anybody who has a desire to follow Jesus, there is no doubt or no question of eternal security. When Jesus is in your life and you love him and you want to follow him and you want to walk in his footsteps, you don't have to worry about eternal security. Because there's going to be that day in eternity when you're going to be able to walk before him and say, Father God, I know I don't deserve here and I thank you for sending your son to die for me. And they say his name is in the book. Enter into these gates for the place I prepared for you.
We're going to be skipping a whole chapter here before we get to the seventh trumpet. I'm going to give you a little spoiler. The seventh woe is when the trumpet is played and the angels sing the hallelujah chorus. That is the seventh woe. Am I going to explain that right now? Nah, let's wait. But we are going to talk about the angel and the little scroll next time. If you have questions, send them to me. I love answering them. If you have things that you want to bring up and, and ask me to ask it on, on the stream or whatever, please do so. If you're watching tonight and you're at home, please, and it might be daytime when you're watching this. If you do have questions, I want you to go to pastor at lighthousecommunity.com. And in there, you will be able to ask, say, hey, ask Pastor Bill this. And I'll be glad I get them. You can see that I get them. And that I will answer those questions. I love doing it. So please feel free to. I'm so glad you were able to be with us in this. And I hope you realize and understand how amazing the book of Revelation is and how encouraging it is for those who have the seal of God on their foreheads. May you have a blessed evening and a blessed week. He is risen. This, it's Resurrection Sunday coming. So please, if you don't come here to Lighthouse, go someplace and celebrate with the rest of the family of God. We would love to see you here. We are on at 9 and 11 a.m., two services, and we'll be here. And, yes, there will be donuts and coffee again next week. So please feel free to come. <laughs> I have to always mention the donuts and coffee. God bless you all. I am so glad you're with us. May you have a great week.